The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about security and privacy and identity theft. And talking about great guests, we have a wonderful great guest that is coming back to us. He's been on our show several times before, and we just love him. Robert Rebern, we're going to call him Bob, is an internationally renowned expert and speaker, professional speaker, on the issues of privacy, identity theft, financial crime, cybercrime, biometrics, embezzlement, you name it. This is this guy knows it all. He's been the director of the American Express Company's Fraud Prevention Program, and in that position as a real fraud fighter, he managed a team of consultants personally orchestrating over 150,000 business and consumer fraud prevention presentations. Wow. And on his crusade against fraud, Bob has traveled to Europe and Latin America, and he's done thousands of talks for American Express, educating consumers and businesses on how to keep their money in their own accounts and out of the hands of thieves. Bob was chosen to lead the American Express program while he was a detective sergeant with the Los Angeles Police Department. And he had a very exciting career with the Los Angeles Police Department before becoming this new expert. He served in many high-profile assignments, including the SWAT team, Hollywood Narcotics, Robbery Division, the Homicide Division, and Vice Squads. During his 22 years of service, he was personally involved in the arrest of thousands of criminals. So we're so grateful to him. He brings a very unique and adorable, in my opinion, um, perspective to to really educate us consumers. And, you know, he really seems to understand the vulnerabilities and the responsibilities of, of consumers. But he also understands at a very deep level the financial community and law enforcement coming from that field. And he has great insight into the criminal mind from dealing with them. And we're just so glad to have him back. He's a great guy, and we love him. Bob, thanks for joining us today. We're so glad to have you this morning. My pleasure, Mari. So, you know, 
We've talked many times about identity theft, and people hear about it all the time. So let's let's talk about it. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? You know, we've heard numbers anywhere from seven million a year to twelve million a year to fifteen million a year. What's what's going on? Well, I was recently asked by uh, somebody in the media: Is there a lot of hype behind this? Is it real? Is it real? Is it something that the public really needs to be concerned about? Because with a program like uh, LifeLock or one of the other identity theft management or or uh, identity management companies, uh, very little falls back on the consumer. That's what they think. And I told him what I'll tell your audience right now, that this may be one of the most underreported crimes in the nation. The numbers are uh, maybe uh, so under. Uh, valued that uh, we're not receiving the right attention for it uh, from the politicians who create laws to protect us. Now, California does have a number of laws that are great. California has been a leader in the nation in coming up with laws to protect your identity or your privacy. But uh, there are things slipping through the cracks, as evidenced by the fact that California leads the nation in certain types of crime, financial crimes. And recently, the California legislature, legislature, as well as the governor, uh, started viewing identity theft as a kind of a victimless crime. And they, since it's not a violent crime, they started releasing prisoners from jail, mm. prisoners that had been convicted of identity theft and some other crimes like that, and they're turning them back out into the to the public sector, and uh, those people are starting it all over again. As many as 30,000 prisoners have been released from, from prison. Now, uh, I and there's recently... There's a very... And, uh, you know, I know for sure, because I've heard of so many identity thieves that, you know, if they get probation or if they get something easy, they're back out on the street. So, of course, they're going to be back out on the street. It's easy money, and they're not going to have to, you know, really be you know, held too accountable for it. Exactly. I recently did a town hall meeting for the city of Los Angeles uh, in the Northridge area. We had about 150 people that attended, and it was in a school auditorium. And during the the speech that I gave them, or a workshop, if you want to call it a workshop because it was interactive, I asked everybody, how many in the room have been the victim of of identity theft? And about... uh, 140 of the people raised their hands. Only about 10 people didn't raise their hands. And for the most part, it was credit card fraud. In some way, there was credit card fraud involved with it. And I asked the audience uh, how many people notified the Federal Trade Commission about the identity theft. And all but about 10 people lowered their hands. So uh, about 10 people out of the total number of people in the room had notified the FTC. And remember that the FTC, uh, their task is to put the numbers together. Right. M- many of the, uh, the in- institutes or the, uh, the companies that do surveys, you know, they come up with some astounding numbers. But the FTC, they're the ones that provide the numbers for the politicians. Right. And a lot of the laws that the politicians the, the laws that they come up with, I call them David Copperfield laws. They're laws <laughs> that they, they create the illusion that they're protecting the public, but they're not. They, they make the public think that the politician may be doing something positive, but it isn't. And, uh, and again, that's evidenced by the fact that uh, 
we have so much of this particular type of crime that that still occurs. Exactly, exactly. So you know what what you know we we hear about credit monitoring and. Um, you know how well you know how I feel about that 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 the credit monitoring surely doesn't take care of all of the types of identity theft. So let's talk a little bit about that because sometimes people get these security breach letters that say, "Okay, we're going to give you credit monitoring for a year or two, but it only monitors credit. Why is that such a big failure for people? Good question. Uh, I personally have received a number of notices that my Privacy has been invaded. My uh, personal information has been stolen. I have a top-secret clearance with the U.S. government, and I was notified by the Office of Personnel Management that uh, everything, including my fingerprints, have been stolen by the Chinese. Mm. So the bottom line is that I, I can't depend on a credit monitoring service to protect me. Uh, it can be part of your plan, if you're a young student and you're uh, you're concerned about your privacy and your family pays for one of those services, that's good. But you still have to be wary. You still have to be concerned, and you have to know what's happening in your community. And and uh, related to this, you know, there's something that happened years ago in Los Angeles, and I'm going to go someplace with this story. And I'm not sell- telling you this story simply to uh, to create fear. There's a message here. There was a woman named Dana Sue Gray in Southern California, and years ago she was driving in her white Cadillac with the roof down, and uh, it was a convertible. She had her five-year-old son with her, and she went through a gate-guarded community. There was no guard at the gate because of budget cuts, and she drove to her former neighbor's house, a woman named June Roberts, and she knocked on the door, and she left uh, left her son in the car while she uh, did this. And she knocked on the door, and June Roberts was shocked to see Dana Sue there. She hadn't seen her in a couple of years. And Dana Sue explained, well, I, I remember you were into nutrition, and you had a book on nutrition. I've changed the way I, I live, and I'm trying to eat healthy. And I was wondering if I could borrow the book. Well, June Roberts said, well, fine. She was a little shocked by this, but ever the good neighbor, she invited her in. Well, about two hours later, Dana Sue Gray and her son were fish, finishing up lunch, and they boxed all the leftovers, and they had so many leftovers. They ordered so much food that the server had to help uh, carry the tr- the boxes out to the car. <laughs> From there, she went to a spa, and she had the full treatment, the pedicure, the manicure, the hair done, the massage. Her son had his hair cut. And paying for the spa treatment, she whipped out the same credit card that she used to pay for the lunch. And whose name was on it? June Roberts. Mm-hmm. So we see that she was an identity thief, wasn't she? She's right. using June, June Roberts' stolen card. And where was June Roberts? Well, she was still in her kitchen. She was in a chair, and she was strapped to the chair. Mm-hmm. She had a gag in her mouth, oh. and the gag suppressed the screams when Dana Sue Gray beat her to death with a wine bottle. Oh, my God. Oh. Now, a sensational story. We, our jaws drop when we hear about things like this, but this is just one of many stories. And then June Roberts went on to commit, uh, not June Roberts, but the Dana the Sue fake, Gray went on the to... The fake went, June Roberts, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, she went on to commit several more murders. She was one of California's uh, only uh, women serial killers. And when she was eventually captured, 
one of the detectives who was doing the interview, he leaned across and he looked at and he said, how can you be so cruel? Why, how can you do something like this? And without missing a beat, she looked at that detective and she said, well, I just had an overwhelming need to shop. Oh, my God. Now, that's what we're, we're facing, everything from that extreme all the way through the kid using dad's credit card to, to purchase something online without dad's knowledge. But the main point here is that when somebody steals my credit card information, my personal information, it's bad in terms of privacy. But it, it's, in fact, if you think of it as a cancerous thing, it's benign when it's stolen if it's sitting in a database in, uh, in a computer in Pakistan or, uh, uh, or India or in Europe or in the U.S. It's, it's really benign, but it becomes malignant when it's used, when all that data is used. And that's where I think we have a problem. We're not putting enough emphasis on protecting the information when it is being used. It's a shame that it's stolen, but it's worse when it gets used. How many lives could have been saved if Dana Sue Gray was challenged when she whipped out that credit card? Mm -hmm. How many people could have been saved if they asked for an ID? If they compared signatures, and we've gotten away from that, we have customer-activated terminals in a lot of stores right now, and in those stores, they've made a decision that the amount of fraud will never exceed the cost of getting rid of a half dozen of their employees. Oh my they goodness. may save five hundred thousand by getting rid of the half do- dozen employees because of work comp and general liability insurance and all the associated fees along with the salary. And yet the fraud will not exceed that. So they're willing to put the uh, the public at jeopardy by having the customer-activated terminal saying, that's okay if we have a little bit of fraud in our neighborhood. And and what I told that news person earlier, the person that asked me, I, that I mentioned earlier about whether this is a lot of hype, yeah. credit card fraud could be symptomatic of elder abuse, murder, a deeper intrusion into somebody's life. So, yes, we need to take it seriously. And, you know, I want to get back to talking about that credit monitoring because I think you know this, and I just want to make sure that my audience understands this. Credit monitoring only deals with credit cards and liens and loans. But think about the other types of identity theft. And I know, I know, Robert, that you speak on medical identity theft until things go to collections that doesn't appear in your credit report, okay? But meanwhile, you might be not be able to use your health insurance or criminal identity theft. Someone like you who, who really was in law enforcement for so many years, who's a top fraud expert, what if your identity is stolen as and, and crimes are committed in another country? That is not going to appear in your credit report. And government benefit fraud, what if somebody says that they're disabled and they are Robert Rebin and that's not you and then you can't get disability if you get hurt or workers' comp or all these things or bank fraud, even bank fraud. If I have someone steal money, um, you know, do electronic transfers out of my account, that doesn't appear on my credit report. So I think people don't realize, Bob, that, that I, you know, when your identity is stolen and truly it's an identity takeover like that woman did, I mean, it, it isn't just credit cards. It can be everything. She can say she's the author of that book, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? That's right. How do you know that I'm really Bob Rebin? 
That's right. Luckily, you I know phoned you. Me. Well, there, there, there is a good way, and I know your voice. You phoned me, and that's one of the <laughs> things that true. we always we always advise uh, not to get away from the uh, the credit monitoring service. But any time a person is phoned, whether it's a student being phoned or a business person being phoned at the office, if it's a phone call where information is being asked for. You should get a phone number, research it, verify that it is the correct the correct phone number for that particular business or entity that's requesting the information, and then phone them back. Never re- never reveal any information to somebody who has called. But in terms of the uh, the credit monitoring service, I have a service. I'm, I'm not going to name it, but, but I'll tell you that they've missed a great deal of information uh, or suspect or suspicious transactions that have occurred, for instance, when I open up a bank account or when I close one and, or transferring great right. deals of money. They've missed a great deal, a uh, great opportunity to notify me right. that, uh, that suspicious transactions have occurred. And if I gave it a number, I would say that they, in the last year, probably they caught uh, one out of ten. Yeah. That, that's not a good uh, statistic. No. I think the only thing good about a credit monitoring service, at least for me, is then I see what's going on with my credit cards and what my score is. That, you know, because I have the Amex one. And that's that's the only thing it's good for, because I know that so much more is going to be missed. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have to put alerts on my checking account. I do online banking, and I'm very, very careful with online banking. I have alerts all the time that if any money is transferred anyway electronically, I get an email. And, you know, there's all sorts of things. But getting getting back to the issue of checks, let's talk about the danger of checks. And, and you know, I'm getting my bank is trying to get me to take pictures. If I get a check from a client, they want me to take pictures of that check and deposit it. What do you think about that? Well, these check imaging companies, it's always a third party. It's not the bank that that deals with that image. It's a third party. It's a business in the cloud. And everyone's familiar with that term now, or maybe not everybody, but it, it simply means that you're using the computer pow- computing power of another company that you don't even know who it is uh, to process or to manage your data. And in these cases, the image of those checks goes to a third party, and then there's reconciliation. That means that the, the bank eventually gets the information that um, you know, there's supposed to be a deposit. It's almost like a clearinghouse for the transaction. So the bottom line is that the cloud is not secure. I mean, yeah. I, can t- uh, I, yeah. get, I get a lot of very interesting information that's classified, and uh, I actually started keeping a record of the negative information or negative titles to the articles about the cloud. And uh, it's everything from how to get cloud right, is there such a thing as the uh, as a secure cloud, uh, cloud security problems. It goes on and on and on. Right. Should we trust the cloud? And the bottom line here is, regarding your question about the imaging, these images have been hacked out of these third-party processors that I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, it's okay for you. You're depositing somebody else's check. But really, information online 
uh, it's it's vulnerable. Anything that goes online, remember, remember hacking usually doesn't happen when inf- information is in transit. In other words, from point to point. Uh, it gets encrypted, and the encryption is pretty hard to break. It's data at rest that's, mm. that's often stolen. Right. So when, when a hacker, when a, when a cyber thief finds a vulnerability in a system, it exploits that vulnerability, and it, and it starts rooting around looking for the, the data that it wants to steal. And a lot of this is scripted. You don't have a human on the other end of the line right, looking, right. At, uh, looking at that. There's something called botnets, yeah. a B-O-T-N-E-T. Now, the botnets are constantly crawling the Internet looking for vulnerabilities, and it is estimated, you, you'll hear various estimates, but it is estimated that 50% of the, in, of the traffic over the Internet now are malicious botnets. Mm. Now, that's outrageous if it you think is. about it. Now, there are now, are bot- they coming from, from other countries like China or whatever, like what happened to you? They can. It can come from uh, China. It can come from uh, Asia. It can come from Europe. Mm. Uh, there are places that you wouldn't even believe, like New Zealand, one of the, one of the biggest bot, well, uh, they're called bot herders, a guy who manages a bot. He had wow. one million personal computers under his control. He was in New Zealand. Wow. So it's, uh, it can be any place where you have somebody uh, who considers himself or herself a tech expert. And uh, what they do is, they, originally they were called script kitties. They were in it just for the challenge of breaking into something. But now it's, it's uh, big money. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, uh, as a coincidence, on my desk I have a list of, of the locations where they have meetings on the uh, first Friday of <laughs> of the uh, first Friday of every month. A meeting is held at a public location, huh. and they say the hackers say this is for entertainment purposes, but they share information on how to intrude into lives. Now, your students that are listening may be interested to know that when. Uh, education, they changed the uh, the student ID numbers from Social Security numbers to real student IDs. Right, right. Well, in a magazine, I'm not going to uh, say the name of the magazine, but it's for sale on the, on the rack in all the, uh, all the bookstores. In this magazine, about two months later, was an article on how to crack school IDs, mm. how to convert them back into social security numbers. So that's what oh you're facing. God. Now, in this, uh, in this uh, publication that I have on my desk, uh, I'll just pull up uh, the closest uh, to you. In, in California, you've got Anaheim at the uh, Night Owl. Well, I don't know what the Night Owl is, but at, uh, the address is in here. At uh, the first Friday of every month, there's a meeting on oh. how to how to break into uh, computers, how to, oh how to intrude into your life. So, so what does law enforcement do? Do they go to those meetings? Do they go undercover? I mean, it's out uh, there. Anybody uh, could know. I could go, right? You can have uh, what we call in the business snitches or informants uh, yeah. who will attend. Uh, FBI agents are usually uh, easily spotted. You know, these people, It's a, you, know, you can get introduced by somebody and then you're allowed to sit in on the meeting, but... Generally, they're pretty suspicious. Um, if you get, if law enforcement gets a good uh, uh, snitch or or an informer, then they can work on it 
but you never you never know who's using a co- a keyboard. Let's just say you find out that there's a a person who is uh, committing crime, cyber crime, and you know where the person lives. Let's just say that person lives with three or four other roommates. Well, who's using the keyboard? Right, right. You know, there was a, there's a, a really interesting case, and uh, there's a documentary on it about the Silk Road. Are you familiar with that? No, uh-uh. uh Silk Road was one of the largest uh, illegal narcotic dealers on the web, and it was being run on uh, the tour uh, with using tour technology, are you familiar with that? No, yeah, uh-uh. no, it's a total, total anonymity uh, that this particular guy named. He called himself Dread Pirate Roberts or DPR. Now he was working, he was working uh, in the states up near San Francisco, and he only got caught because he went to uh, a cyber cafe. And when he hit send in communicating with one of his colleagues, he hit send, and the officers were there to see him hit send, and they were able to seize his computer before he could hit delete or hit the code that would wipe his computer clean, mm-hmm. and they were able to take him into custody. So so trying to prosecute these people is a very arduous task. It wow. takes years. There was a kid, he was in... Uh, he was in Jacksonville, Florida, and he was using the servers for Rubbermaid. Uh, Rubbermaid, everyone knows the Rubbermaid products, right. but they uh, their servers were at the corporate headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. For two years, this kid had control had control of those servers and was sending spam using the servers to uh, to keep stolen credit card information on the server. And, on. and it took the FBI two years. Even after they learned who he was, it took them a couple of years before they could take him down. Very difficult. And, wow. and usually the best officers will be working on that. So what happens to the rest of us? The rest of us have to sit back and wait for somebody who's going to be concerned, and you're not going to get that person. That's one of the big problems today, finding somebody who's going to be concerned if, you, if you're victimized. Yeah. And that's why... It's more about what we do as individuals, as consumers, or as business people, the knowledge that we have. You know, I, I hate to create fear, and, and I actually did a presentation down in uh, New Orleans, and a businessman raised his hand after the, after the speech, and he said, do you mind if I slit my wrists here, or should I wait until oh, I get out God. in the hallway? And then I said, I said to him, everybody got a good laugh, I said, but I said to him, I would prefer that you said this. A physician in Los Angeles once said to me, I don't know if what you just said is more frightening or enlightening. And I said, that's what I want to hear because yeah. you see the fear that we create is uh, the good kind of fear. Mm, right, when that you'll do something, this, right, that you'll yeah. you'll take action to, to really, you, you know, be careful about what you're doing and, and not just be oblivious to what you're doing on the computer, right? Exactly. If you use the metaphor of the streetlights at night, if the streets are dark, you have fear. You turn the light on, you feel comfortable. And that's right. what happens when you, when people tune into your to your radio show or they read information that's available, they pay attention, they move from that fear into the light. Exactly. We have just about two more minutes left. So can you just give some of the most important tips that you'd like to for for businesses? 
Oh, for businesses, well, or, or consumers. I don't care. Yeah, either way, uh, it's not enough time, Mari. You need Just, to spend I know. hours doing it. <laughs> but you know, uh, make some uh, of the biggies. Con- for consumers, I, I just want to say the ATMs are a dangerous place. If if uh, your students find themselves standing at an ATM during off bank hours during during the evening or on weekends, they're they're running a risk of being robbed or murdered. One of the last murders I, I handled was at an ATM, and it was simply because the criminals know that's where the cash is. This kid turned around after getting forty dollars out of the ATM, and he caught two bullets through the chest. Okay. Oh my God! So the bottom line is, they need to keep a little bit of cash secreted at their house, or go to the bank during normal banking hours and get the cash, and um, and don't go off hours. There, there is no security check or clearance done on any person who purchases an ATM and puts it into a liquor store. Yeah, bottom I would line, never do it except for a bank. No. Yeah, yeah, they're not secure, and that's no. that's for, that's one of the most important things for business people too. I mean, they're dealing with the same issue: cash on hand. Go to the ATM and get that uh, get the petty cash, and uh, it's dangerous. It really is. So that's that's just one of the things that bothers me. Well, let's get people to your website then, because we are just out of time. So just give your website so people can go and see all the great things that you have and and articles, well, etc. If they go to the website, if they're concerned about anything that I've said, or if they want more information, they can find a phone number there. I don't hide, and uh, I like the phone calls. I like to share the information. This isn't about you know making money or anything like that. It's about sharing information and help people get to that, that position of being in the light. So uh, they can go to Robert, and that's R-E-B-H-A-N, Robert Rebin. Com. We and, love uh, you. We love you, Robert. We love you, Bob. You're wonderful, and we will have you back again. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. My pleasure. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Stay private. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.